Hello, listeners. My name is Shara Donahue, and welcome to The Bible Never Said That, a podcast where we talk about popular sayings that have invaded the culture and the church, even though they are theologically unsound. Today, we'll be talking about a saying that we hear far too often from faithful churchgoers. God will never give you more than you can handle. Now, most people who believe this idea is biblical support it by quoting 1 Corinthians 10.13, which says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This is great news for when we are facing temptation. So often the way out of situations which are baited with sin is to simply say no. We convince ourselves that uttering this two-letter word is harder than it actually is, but God promises a way out of temptation, and we can trust Him that it will be there. But note that this verse is talking about temptation, not the weight of life circumstances. The comforting thought of not being given anything beyond what we can bear is not found in scripture, and anyone who has lived long enough to witness suffering knows it's not true. One of the reasons I am taking the time to point out the problems in these sayings is because it breaks my heart to see Christians, God's people, spouting off false sayings and attempts to truly make people feel better, but never getting to the truth that can actually make people get better. But just because God may give us more than we can handle is not a cause to lose hope because the hope we have is greater than an easy life. The hope we have lies in that we have a God who can handle it all. Psalm 121.2 says, My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He not only tells us that he will come to our aid, but he comforts us as well. In Isaiah 41.10, we are encouraged with these words, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Life may be more than we can handle, but it will never be more than God can handle. In the Gospels, we see the disciples were often under the pressure that they were in situations beyond their own strength. They fretted that they didn't have enough food, that they couldn't cast out certain demons, and that Jesus died on the cross. They loved Jesus and sought to serve him, but also they forgot far too often that he was God. And don't we do the same? We forget that Jesus is God and we get stressed out. We worry we won't have enough, that the ways of life will crash too strong, and that Jesus will forget the prayers we've breathed out in the midst of our busyness and trying to control our own destinies. Being still before God reminds us that our Savior is the one who calms the seas. He is the one who heals the blind and ransoms the debtor's soul. Worry robs us of the power that comes from acknowledging that God is God and no set of circumstances could, can, or ever will change that. It keeps our mind meditating on how things can go wrong and how we can strive to make them go right. It does not send us into the presence of a mighty God who can part seas and raise the dead. 
In order to silence the worry so we can be still before God, we need to possess humility. Many people prone to anxiousness have been told to give their concerns to God. But the verse that precedes that command gives us the key to do so. In 1 Peter 5, 6-7, through it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. We will not, cannot, give the uncertainties closest to our hearts to God, unless we are certain He is more powerful than ourselves. To be still before Him, we must acknowledge this with all our heart, mind, and soul. We need to trust that He is strong enough to carry the things we cannot carry. And we need to trust when the questions of why linger within our souls. We have complex emotions when we see the horror of violence usher souls into eternity or pain. Whether it be war, natural disasters, or domestic terrorism, when we look at society, it becomes obvious to us that we cannot guarantee the safety of ourselves or those we love. And that feels overwhelming. We grieve because there has been loss and we long for justice to be satisfied. We make escape plans, prep emergency supplies, and wisely make sure we are prepared for disaster because we know the truth. We live in a fallen world and it is more than we can handle. Tragedy does strike. God could have stopped it. We don't get to know why he didn't. This tension we feel as people of faith, and it does not exist primarily in global or national tragedy. We feel it strained most when personal woe is woven into our own story that we thought surely would have a happy ending. When someone we thought was safe proved that they were not, when we thought there would be more time with one we loved, or when the dream we chased suddenly shifted to a nightmare. Emotionally, we become either angry or still. If we decide God is not worthy of our trust, even though He is, fear will quickly step in. It will cause us to flee from the presence of God, bitter and lonely. We accuse God of leaving us, of not keeping us safe, and we don't know what to do with these feelings that war within us. We want desperately to return to the safety of trusting God, but the feelings we have towards Him will keep us from going to Him. These feelings bring restlessness ever closer to our hearts, so we must confront them with the truth of Scripture. When Moses climbed Mount Sinai and met with God to receive the Ten Commandments, he had witnessed much death and destruction, plagues, a hardened Pharaoh, and an enslaved people all dwelt in his memories. And yet, as Moses went into the presence of God, we don't see God offer explanation after explanation so Moses can have peace. We instead see God remind Moses who God is. In Exodus 34, 6, it says, And he, the Lord, passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Finding strength in God has little to do with getting our fears soothed. 
and our questions answered, and more to do with simply trusting God to be God. When Moses came to the end of his life, he didn't give the next leader, Joshua, how-to suggestions. He told him instead what we all must hold to. In Deuteronomy 31.8, it says, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. When we realize that God can handle what we cannot, even when we are dealing with sorrow or suffering that seems like it will crush us, we still need to learn to let go of the control we cling to and trust that God is at work. One of the most paralyzing things we can hold on to after we face trials and tribulation is unforgiveness. We often hear about God's forgiveness in the church. We know we received what we did not deserve from Christ, but it can be difficult to extend it to those who don't seem deserving. But if we truly grasp Christ's sacrifice on the cross, we realize that we have no right to withhold forgiveness from others. But unfortunately, our emotions don't always line up with what we mentally agree with. And while we see that forgiveness is central to God's plan for us, it's far from easy. So why is it hard? Well, first of all, the hurt is real. Forgiveness does not deny the existence of the pain. There would be no need to forgive if no wrong was committed. Sometimes we shove the pain into the pits of our own soul, lock it up, and try not to dignify its existence. Other times, we choose to wallow, bathe, and exist in it as it slowly drains us. Both are faulty and contrary to the way of Jesus. He leads us to deal with the wrongs committed against us. So, if we are wise, we battle for freedom, even when the path is perilous. Look to Stephen, who was sentenced to death for proclaiming his faith in Acts chapter 7. In verses 59 through 60, it says, While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen's pain was real, severe, and it would cost him everything. As J.D. Greer says, in that moment, Stephen decided that Jesus' approval was better than life. So this is where we start. We ask ourselves, is it Jesus' approval we want more than anything? Or does the desire for vengeance keep us from seeing the face of our Savior? Forgiveness is also hard because the consequences of the pain are sometimes still being felt. Maybe somebody swindled you, left you, or injured you, and you are still paying off the debt, recovering from injuries, or suffering the consequences of another's choices. The temptation to feel the sting of offense will be present each time you are forced to live out the repercussions of the wrongs of another. When we are confronted by these consequences, it can reawaken the deep ache that will be present if we have not fully forgiven them. Deciding to forgive may be the most difficult part of the process and may take multiple tries to make it stick. 
This is especially true if the offender is someone close to us or another believer. David laments the heartache that can come from close-knit treachery in Psalm 55, 12-14. He says, If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God, as we walked among the worshipers. Reminders, consequences, and memories can be used by Satan to establish a foothold of bitterness. In those moments, we must choose yet again to love as Christ loves, to take the thoughts captive, and choose not to dwell in the pain. In those moments, we must remind ourselves, I can forgive because I am forgiven. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. The memories can haunt. Trauma can have lasting effects on a person's psyche, which can be remedied directly by Jesus. But sometimes he provides people to help foster that healing process as well. Post-traumatic stress disorder should be addressed by a trained counselor, and it is wise to discuss your struggles with trusted friends, even if only so someone else knows what's happening inside your head. Get out of the loneliness and build community. Let people know so they can check in with you about how you are. Are you moving forward? And the memories can be tainted. We waste time thinking how we could change what can't be changed. And we mentally argue again and again with a person who isn't thinking of us. We can tell ourselves dangerous stories when they become stuck swirling continuously in our thoughts. Satan will try to sow destructive lies into these mental memories, these mental places, as we try to process what really happened. Sometimes the reason forgiveness is so hard is because we have started to let the pain define who we are. And we cannot allow our wounds to become our identity Yes, your pain is part of your story, but it is not the point of it. You are dearly loved, accepted, and children of God. Too often, people allow their experiences to define them. They begin to nurture an identity as a victim and never seem to be able to escape it. 
seeing yourself as a perpetual victim can become a false defense against a fallen world. If we allow our pain to become a part of our identity, it gives us a place to lay the blame for personal failures, a way to grab attention from others, and it is used to justify ungodly behavior. When people hold onto their hurt for so long that they forget who they were without it, they often find themselves jumping from one dreadful situation to another with a loop of, why does this keep happening to me, at the forefront of their minds. We reinforce the ideas of who we are by the situations we are willing to put ourselves in. And if we accept victimhood as our permanent state, we begin to get lost in finding a twisted sense of security in being wounded. When life feels out of control, we retreat back into this familiar state because it feels safer than hoping for something more. But Jesus has more, much, much more for us than an identity as a victim. Jesus calls us to victory. And when we begin to know that victory is possible, we begin to grow in courage. So we have to refuse to let unforgiveness deteriorate our soul. Because when we forgive, we are offering something that may not have even been asked for and something the offender most likely does not deserve. It is not just for their sake that we forgive. It is also for our own. When we let resentment fill our days and allow seething anger to boil under the surface of our actions, we leave little room for peace and joy in our lives. We've pushed it out. We've accepted the pain and given up peace. We wrap discontentment around ourselves and our pain and hold it tightly even when the key to finding the abundant life Jesus welcomes us into is pleading with us to let go. We may never be able to make sense of the pain, but we can refuse to drown in it. So, how do we find this courage? Sometimes it means finding a counselor. You don't have to do this all on your own. Talking with a biblically-based counselor or licensed therapist, could be just what you need to help you clear this hurdle. Sometimes sharing how far the unforgiveness has rooted itself into our will can be hard to reveal to a friend. But counselors do this all the time. And if finances are an issue, check with local churches in your area to see if they have any lay counselors that would be willing to talk with you. We also need to stop fearing the scars and use them. After sin and death have been conquered through Jesus' death and resurrection, he still bore the scars. At times I struggle to understand why. Why not take the marks away as well? Why did Jesus have the scars still? I feel some of my own scars pulling tight on the tender healing of my soul, and I wish they would just disappear. I don't want to have to be reminded of the abuse the abandonment, the betrayal. But after experiencing the peace provided by offering forgiveness, I desperately want others to experience that peace as well. Our scars don't need to be feared. 
but once they've healed, they can be shared when others need to know they aren't alone, that they can survive this. This is one way God can work our sorrows for good. When we allow others to see our scars, we can introduce them to the God who heals. Hurt happens this side of heaven, but we are not left alone in it. We are held by nail-pierced hands. The word become flesh. We are led into forgiveness because the shepherd we follow leads us there to set us free. So we can be empowered by Christ and our love for him. C.S. Lewis reminds those letting unforgiveness fester in his book, The Weight of Glory, that when offended by another, even if he is absolutely fully to blame, we still have to forgive him. And even if 99% of his apparent guilt can be explained away by really good excuses, the problem of forgiveness begins with the 1% guilt which is left over. To excuse what can really produce good excuses is not Christian character. It is only fairness. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Ooh, how scandalous is the love of God. And oh, how outrageous the ways we love him back, including forgiving what many may call unforgivable. First John 5, 3-4 says, In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. In his great love, we are no longer victims to anything. In fact, we've been made victorious. So we show Jesus our love by obeying his truth, even when it's hard. Forgiveness may seem impossible, but it's not. God will empower us to do what he asks of us. He forgave us without hesitation when we asked, fully knowing we didn't deserve it. He loves us and calls us his own, and it is our privilege to find the courage to love like he does. Extending forgiveness to those who have hurt us is more than we can handle. It is. It's a big ask, but it's doable with the Spirit of God. All of life is manageable with our great and mighty holy God because nothing is outside of his power. He is the one who walks with us in joys and the painful moments we wish would pass. He will give us more than we feel like we can take so that we can see him clearly. Because when we see him clearly, all of life becomes more purposeful and the battles that come our way become worth fighting because we know the ultimate victory belongs to our great and mighty God and we belong to him. you are. I want to pray for you as we wrap up today. Because life can be painful, but you don't have to do it alone. Jesus, you know the hearts of your people. 
You know what they can bear. And you are also the one who is willing to carry us when we are weary and burdened. Thank you for being the one who binds up broken hearts and sets captives free. You are trustworthy, and we thank you for the forgiveness you have offered us. Help us to have souls that resist the temptation to let unforgiveness grow in us. Free us from bitterness and teach us to walk in love. You are the one we need. Show us how to be more like you. When the suffering feels suffocating, help us to breathe. Show us the way that we may walk in victory. And it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. What a relief that God is our strength. I thank you for listening today so we could all be reminded of that. The resources, books, and articles referred to in this podcast can be found in the show notes at lifeaudio.com slash podcast or on iTunes. And if you're over in the notes, we love if you could rate and review this podcast so others can find us. Until next time, may you seek the abundant life Jesus died to give and live in the truth that sets people free. Need more of God's power in your life? I'm Christina Patterson, host of the Teach Us to Pray podcast, providing practical tips on how to grow your faith through prayer. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.